you ever seen something that has taken your breath away? I can remember uh, feeling that way on the edge of the Grand Canyon or standing virtually feet away from Niagara Falls as it's uh, going over the edge. The sheer magnitude and the majesty of those places is just uh, literally brings wonder and uh, and awe and not a little fear, right? There's a little bit of uh, nervousness as you're standing there too. Maybe uh, maybe not a natural wonder, but uh, maybe wonderful all the same. Maybe you've uh, uh, been to Disney World and stayed at uh, to the end of that magical day in the Magic Kingdom, at least for the kids, right? No, uh, and uh, the electrical parade comes by and everything's glowing and all that, and then it's capped off with the amazing fireworks display over Cinderella's castle and all the oohs and ahs, and it's breathtaking, right? Or maybe it's something else for you, but uh, but you can relate to breathtaking, memorable moments. They don't happen often. They aren't common. They're amazing. And I'm thinking that, that none of those things uh, could compare to the breathtaking, awe-inspiring scene that the shepherds experienced on that night uh, when heaven came down and touched earth in the fields outside of Bethlehem. The magic kingdom has nothing on the kingdom of God when it comes to the heavenly host lighting up the night sky and blasting a chorus of praise that proclaimed the call of Christmas. This time it was a call to praise, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Those were the, the, the words that the angels proclaimed that night uh, when their eternal king took on flesh and was born in a cattle stall. And, and I love the quote of one scholar who described that scene this way. He says, the splendor of the vision is in sharp contrast to the commonness of the event. Common, dirty, bottom rung of society shepherds being encountered by angels. A, a manger in a stable holding God's son the savior of the world. God has a knack for using the ordinary in order to highlight the extraordinary. Three times Luke mentions the common manger as the place where where this king, Jesus, was laid. And the splendor of the vision of the angels to the shepherds would forever change not only their lives, but the lives of those that they proclaimed that message to as well. The Advent message that the angel had communicated to Mary And then to Joseph, months before in Nazareth, had finally arrived. Jesus, the Messiah, born to the Virgin Mary and her faithful husband, Joseph, by her side all the way. It it, it had been a long 70-mile haul over many days and many hills of rough terrain from Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David just outside Jerusalem. Especially long, I'm sure, for a pregnant woman in her third trimester. They tell me, I will never know, but they tell me that rough traveling conditions are not the easiest thing on a, uh, a woman about to give birth. But they made it, and, and, and they, uh, little did they know that their secret that they had heard from the angels at different times, that they were convinced that God was now coming in the flesh, that this baby was the Son of God, this secret that they carried was about to be made public through the angelic encounter to the shepherds. 
Up to this point, the angel encounters uh, uh, regarding the call of Christmas uh, had been uh, one-on-one. You had the angel to Zechariah, and then that same angel to Mary, and then uh, in a dream to Joseph. But this was the first public setting when the message of the Messiah was shared by the angel, uh, by by an angel in public to a a group of people. And it wasn't in the temple near the Holy of Holies, and it wasn't to a a virgin chosen to be the mother of God, and it wasn't uh, to a, a... in a dream to a righteous young man. Instead, it was in the fields to a bunch of society's outcasts. You've probably heard them described like that before. These shepherds uh, just were not looked highly upon in their society. Uh, I mean, they, it makes sense. I mean, they watched sheep like all the time. And uh, they, they lived with those animals. If you've ever been near a sheep farm, you know that it usually doesn't smell like roses and perfume. And neither did these guys, because that's where they lived all the time. Uh, they, they were nomads with no real home. Most of the time, shepherds were just hired hands doing the work of uh, that no one else wanted to do. If the Discovery Channel had been around back then, Mike Rowe probably would have done an episode of Dirty Jobs on the hillside outside of Bethlehem. This was not your great, wonderful, I'm going to aspire as a child to grow up and become a shepherd. It just didn't happen. Shepherds had a reputation not only for being kind of dirty and just kind of out there somewhere, but also they had a, a bad reputation as as thieves. They they traveled all over. They were up at weird hours. They had opportunity to sneak around and, and take stuff, and they did. And uh, they weren't known as having the highest moral character. They were not saints. In fact, because of their job, they were usually ceremonially unclean and prohibited from participating in all the religious stuff in the temple and elsewhere. And it was almost as if society had labeled them not worthy of God's love because they're, they're doing this work. And so they were unclean and not even worthy to be a part of, of the religious society of that time. And yet... It was to these certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay that the angels came with this very public announcement of good news, of great joy for all people. And that's that's why it was to the shepherds, because it was for all people. Anyone else, if if the angels had appeared to anyone else, uh, it would have been assumed that those below them on society's ladder, so to speak, were were not who uh, were not the target of God's love, but but only those who were in that group and perhaps above. But but coming to these shepherds proved that Jesus is for everyone. What those shepherds experienced out in the field was unforgettable. It, it, all, it, it all but took their breath away, I'm sure. And, and that's why we see the angels starting off with the same thing that all the other angels started off with. Uh, fear not. Angels seem to have this awe-inspiring, breathtaking presence about them that produces fear. Uh, they represent uh, a, a presence that has greatness and sends chills down your spine. But when the angel had quieted the fears of the shepherds, he brought them a great message. In, in verses 10, 11, and 12 in Luke chapter 2, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good news, great joy for all people. The shepherds already knew the bad news. 
They knew that they, that the human race had sinned and was lost. Uh, they knew that the animals were, that, that the animals were sacrificed all the time, uh, in the temple in order to somehow pay for the sins of the people. Uh, in fact, many of the very sheep, some scholars say that, that all of the sheep that these shepherds would have been watching on that hillside, uh, outside of Bethlehem near Jerusalem, that those sheep could very well have been the ones earmarked for the sacrifices in the temple. These shepherds knew uh, specifically the bad news that, that people were separated from God and they needed to go through this, this sacrificial ritual all the time, uh, day in and day out, year in and year out, in order to pay for the sins of the people. It was a system of sinning and then sacrificing for that sin and then, then uh, people would sin again and sacrifice and sin and it would go on and on and on with no end in sight. But this angel had come to tell them there was good news of great joy that God was doing something permanent about sin. A savior had come. The human race needed someone who could bring them back into fellowship with God because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could not do it in a permanent way, but the blood of the savior could. And so the angel message was that God had come, that redemption was possible. The, the angel said this was the Messiah the Lord. The, the Messiah was known to the Jews of old as the anointed one who would rule as king, fulfilling God's promise to David. He had promised David that, that there would be a king that would be on the throne in David's lineage that would, that would, uh, would rule. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. Uh, the Lord, the Messiah, the Lord, uh, it's a title that speaks of the divine nature of this baby who was born. This was God who had now come as king to save his people. And that was the amazing message from this angel. And it was validated when the angel army showed up in the night sky. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I think God was was uh, showing his kindness to these shepherds in bringing the one angel first and uh, not starting off with the with the whole mess of angels, right? I, I think he would have uh, would would have sent them more than just uh, running through the fields. I think they probably would have had a heart attack right on the spot. So uh, I, I think he probably knew that, and uh, and his kindness brought the the single angel first, and then and then the uh, the multitude. This multitude came, well, what were they doing? Well, they were, they were worshiping God. We call them a choir, right? The angel choir showed up. We say that they're singing, glory to God of the highest. Verse 14 says they were praising God and saying. Minor point, no big deal. I'm just saying this was not an angel choir, okay? They were talking, not singing. Might actually have been more like cheering at a ball game rather than singing. I guess we picture this, this uh, you know, kind of, you know, holding your, uh, and singing this wonderful, that wasn't a picture. I, I think the picture was more like cheering at a ball game. You don't sing when you want the guy to make a basket, right? You don't break into chorus when you get excited about a touchdown. Maybe the Browns, at this point, we'd sing about anything, right? Even a field goal, we might get a little, I don't know. But, but what do you do? Well, you scream and you yell and you high-five and you fist bump and you, you jump up and down. Uh, some people rip their shirts off and whip them over their heads or they paint, I don't know, it's, it's crazy, right? 
Uh, it's what many of you did when Rajay Davis hit a two-run home run in the bottom of the eighth in the last game of the World Series, and we thought maybe the Indians might actually pull this thing out. I think I woke my son up when I did that at whatever ungodly hour that was that happened. It's what I'm planning on doing when the Buckeyes beat Alabama again in the college football championship in a few weeks, right? Exactly. I thought we might get a couple amens there. Believe it or not, not just for sporting events, there should be excitement over things that actually matter, right? Things that have eternal significance. And that night, those angels were pumped up. I don't know if they were high-fiving and fist-bumping, but, but probably something along those lines. Because God, uh, who, who they lived in the presence of, they, these angels lived in the presence of God uh, day in and day out. If there are days and, and whatever in heaven, we don't know. But they're, they're, they're face-to-face with God. This same God was now breaking into history. And providing a way for salvation to come to all of humanity. And they got to share, these angels got to share the good news of great joy for all people. And so they cheered and they shouted and they glorified God. Amazing spectacle on the hillside outside of Bethlehem. They glorified God, the glory of the Lord. We use that word in in church circles, probably not a whole lot of other places. What does it mean to glorify? I mean, it's it's in this story, it's actually in the Bible a lot, but, but what is glory? I usually think that it means that everything gets all bright and shiny, right? And that's part of it. I mean, that's what we, uh, the, you know, the angels were, were uh, you know, it was it shining all around them, so there must have been some some element of of being bright and shiny, but, but, but there's more to glory than that. Not only did God's glory shine around them, the angels gave God glory. We'll see later that the shepherds glorified and praised God. Uh, what does it mean? God is described as having glory a lot in the Bible. Many places, especially in the Psalms, were encouraged to give God glory. Uh, the idea is worshiping God, lifting him up, recognizing his, his splendor and his greatness. Uh, there, there are a few times when, uh, when Scripture mentions that God's glory was visible to people. Uh, in the story of Exodus, uh, God's glory rested on the top of Mount Sinai, right? And, and uh, Moses was the only one who could go up. And there's this it's, uh, clouds and thunder and uh, kaboom and, and, uh, and fire and all that and that represented God's glory. Uh, Later, God's glory inhabited the tabernacle so much that Moses couldn't go in. Uh, Again, later after that, when Moses did encounter God face to face and in his glory, then um, he would come out and he was glowing because he was reflecting the glory of God. Uh, Again, even later, Solomon built the temple and the, the glory of the Lord filled it so much that the priest couldn't even go in and serve because it was too overwhelming. Just a few glimpses of the, the glory of God that we see in the Old Testament. The Hebrew term for glory uh, means weight or importance. The, the, the Greek term means splendor or brightness or radiance. So God is glorious. Wherever he goes, there is a weightiness and importance of his presence, and it is splendid, magnificent, and glorious. And all of that was revealed to these shepherds. God's glory, usually reserved for important holy people, for kings and prophets and priests, now surrounded dirty shepherds and even dirtier sheep. The God of all gods, king of all kings, glory of all glories was born to us. He is a holy, 
awesome, majestic, magnificent God who instills fear and reverence, who takes our breath away. But he is for all people, even shepherds, even you. And the angels got excited about it. It was a call of praise, a call to praise. So even as this spectacle of praise and glory was fading into the night sky, the shepherds did what the angel told them to do. We see, we pick up the story in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So they hurried off. They, they, they did it. You know, what, what, uh, just like Mary, just like Joseph, just like Zechariah after a short delay, when, when, the, when the, the angel spoke to these folks, they did what the angel said. And the same was true of the shepherds. And, and that's really the key, right? I, I mean, just knowing what to do isn't the most important thing. You have to actually do it, follow through. The doctor prescribes medication. You have to actually take it, right? The, uh, the, the, the financial planner helps you make a plan to get out of debt. You've got to work the plan. It's not just enough to have a plan. You've got to follow through on working the plan. The the physical trainer says you have to lift these weights and run these drills and get your heart rate to this level and eat like this, but he or she can't make you do all those things. You have to actually follow through on that and do it. The shepherds knew what they had been told, but then they had to go and do it. And, and they did. When they found that, that the whole thing was just like the angel had described, they told everyone there what the angel had told them about Jesus. And this was just one more confirmation for Mary and Joseph of who Jesus was. Mary pondered it all in her heart. The shepherds went hooting and hollering all the way back to the hillside. I mean, they weren't quiet about this thing. I don't know what the, what uh, time of night it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't a night to be hooting and hollering, but that's exactly what they were doing. They were worshiping God and uh, telling everybody who God was and what he was up to. They were glorifying and praising God because of everything they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. The angel told the shepherds a lot of information. The angel told them about Jesus and what he had come to do. He told them where to find them. He told them to go check it out. And then there was this big display of praise. But no one had to tell the angels what to do after they experienced Jesus. No one had to to tell them, okay, now you need to go let people know about this. It just came naturally that they would glorify and praise God. It, it 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 was like it just sprang out of them because of what they experienced. And... And that got me thinking a little bit this week. You can't make someone worship. You can't command praise. Oh, people can go through the motions of praise. You might get someone to sing a song or to recite liturgy or to bow their heads and close their eyes. You might even go through those motions yourself in order to keep up appearances. But, but true worship springs out of the heart after a personal encounter with Jesus, just like the shepherds. Really glorifying and praising God comes when we personally see who he is and how much he loves us. Uh, God sent his son through these crazy circumstances that we come to know as, uh, we have come to know as the Christmas story. He, He did all that to demonstrate his love for us, to open up a way for us to connect with him. 
And if you allow yourself to personally experience him and his love, praise and worship will spring from your heart and you'll hardly be able to stop it. It's not something that's, that's commanded. It just happens. So this week, probably a busy week for you. Maybe you're finishing stuff at work. Maybe you've got company coming in. Maybe you're planning a trip. You gotta finish the presents. You gotta uh, buy in the presents and wrap the presents and, and uh, try to keep everybody happy all at the same time. It's a, it's a, it's a busy week. It can be a stressful week. I guess a couple of challenges for you as you head through this week leading up to the celebration of Christ's birth this next weekend. This week, let Jesus take your breath away. I'm, I'm assuming that, that, that you probably won't have any angelic encounters, but I'm probably, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say that it couldn't happen. But take the time to kneel before the manger, to experience the glory of God. That, that glory that sometimes looks like the night sky lit up with light and sometimes looks like a helpless baby born to redeem the world. Your call to praise might result in hooting and hollering for all to hear, or it might result in treasuring the experience and pondering it in your heart. But let's answer the call to praise by worshiping our Savior, Christ the Lord.